Welcome queen to the body love binge with me Victoria. Although we're all unique, honestly I'm no different to you. I'm just a girl who's been through some hard shit, figured out how to thrive and made it her life's mission to help others to do the same. I've beaten anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder and I'm a domestic abuse survivor. My intention for this podcast is to empower you with weekly episodes on all things food freedom, body love and of course juicy, yummy self-love so you can embody the healthiest and happiest version of you. Enjoy the episode my love. Welcome my loves to another episode. I've got Sabrina with me today and Sabrina Magnan is a food freedom and intuitive eating coach helping chronic dieters heal their relationship with food in their bodies, develop realistic health promoting habits that stick through her own battle with orthorexia, disordered eating, body dysmorphia and yo-yo dieting. She deeply understands what it's like to have your entire life revolve around food and your body. After discovering what actually works to stop feeling out of control around food, feel at peace in your body and create a life you're in love with, Sabrina now works with women all over the world to help them stop dieting and rediscover a way of eating that's enjoyable, guilt-free and rooted in nourishment and self-love instead of restriction and punishment. And so the questions that I went through with Sabrina, and there's a, there's a lot of value in this episode from her sharing her personal story as well. So she starts off by sharing her story and how she actually became a food freedom coach. She talks in depth about what orthorexia is, because that's actually an eating disorder that I haven't had personal experience with myself. So she talks about the symptoms of orthorexia, how someone can start to overcome that and how she overcame that herself. And there's so much value in there. And then she goes on to talk about body dysmorphia. What is it? Can we ever heal from it? And I share my personal experience with that as well. And she also shares how you can handle bad body image days, the, her tips and tricks that she uses when she has a bad body image day her, herself. And then she shares how people can work with her and she talks about her group program. So enjoy the episode. Me and Sabrina are definitely on the same vibe. And if you have any questions, reach out to me or Sabrina. And as always, please screenshot this episode and tag us both on Instagram. Enjoy. Sabrina, it's an absolute honor to have you on. Welcome to the podcast. It is so good to be on. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to go into 10 quick fire questions that I ask all of my guests. They're different. Are you ready? Oh my God. I don't think so, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be ready. <laughs> okay. Number one, easiest one ever, favorite food? Pizza. Number two, the most ridiculous diet you've ever been on? Um, probably my 1200, uh, 1200 calorie one. Yes, that is very restrictive. And unfortunately, is it my fitness pal that has that as just a norm? Yep. Yep. And I think it was the most ridiculous one because it was the one that lasted the longest for me. Yeah, that's, that's harsh. Actually, maybe my every year I would do no desserts January after the holidays. So that was also pretty extreme. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to, you know, Lent, I'm not religious, but you know, yes. Lent, like I used to always until five years ago, always I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. Well, mm. never worked, did it? 
I just ended up binging on it and feeling even worse. But there you go. I can imagine. Yes. Okay. Number three, weights or cardio? Um, Weights. Lately, I've been more towards the weights. Yeah. Cool. Number four, the favorite, most favorite part of your day? Hmm. Either my morning coffee or my morning, just my morning routine. I, I love going for walks and meditating and journaling and it really sets me up for a good day. So uh, I would say like the first hour that I'm awake. Mm, I love that, I'm the same. Mm-hmm. In fact, how funny, my next question is, what's your morning routine if you have one? Like what are the steps that you tend to take? Yeah, so I definitely have one. I'm a creature of habit. So I wake up and then I do 12 minutes of meditating, which is new to my morning routine and I've been loving it so far. And then I do about five minutes of journaling just to set my intentions and my goals for the day. Uh, And then I do some kind of intentional movement, whether that's weights or going for a walk or stretching or whatever it is. Um, And then I have my breakfast with a little bit of a tea and I start my day off um around 8 30 9 o'clock perfect thank you for sharing mm-hmm. okay number six three words to describe your body strong um amazing <laughs> and hmm what's a third word just worthy regardless regardless of how big or how small it is it's just worthy of love it's worthy of respect oh I love that I love Mm -hmm. that so much number seven something that you love that others may consider strange or weird (laughs) oh something that I love Okay, I feel like I'm gonna have to circle back to that one because I'm sure there's a lot of things that I can think of, but right now I'm drawing a blank. That's fine. I'll, I'll ask at the end and if you come up with nothing, that's also fine. Okay. I have a suggestion that I'm assuming for you, but I don't want to assume, so. Okay, well, wh- what do you assume? I assume that you enjoy being triggered, you enjoy digging deep in your personal development, Yes. So I actually enjoy feeling uncomfortable for sure. I enjoy putting myself in situations that I've never experienced before. And I enjoy feeling, I mean, enjoy is a strong word, but I seek it out. So definitely. And I think that maybe not everyone loves that feeling. So absolutely. I would agree with that. Taking on new projects that make me feel very uncomfortable. I love that sign of huge growth to to be at that stage. I would like to think I'm at that stage too. I think I am, but I have a coach on purpose because we don't see our blind spots, right? We all need support. Okay, number eight, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? A golden retriever. Um, Because first of all, they're always happy. Like they're always happy and and they're just the kind of dog. I I was bit by a dog when I was young, which made me um, a little bit scared of bigger dogs. And actually, ironically enough, it was a golden retriever that had um, developed dementia. And so he was very old. And um, so I've been very scared of bigger dogs uh, because of that. But golden retrievers is like that one dog that I always know is like the friendly dog that you, that's always going to be in a good mood. That's not going to be dangerous again ironically enough because I got bit by a golden retriever um so I would say probably a golden retriever yeah 
I love that. And you know, what's come to mind as you're sharing that, Sabrina, is I just thought of my body and I'm sure you have experienced the same and those listening maybe in the first part that I'm going to describe the golden retriever that you got bitten by, like you had a fear, I'm assuming Mm -hmm. of the golden retriever and now you love them the most. That's like represents my relationship with my body. I hated it my whole life. I had such a fear around it getting bigger or changing. I just was living in fear and now I love it so much. I could never even imagine that's the case. That is such an amazing parallel. I absolutely love that. And I would I would agree as someone who used to hate my body too. Like I'm just able to see that the same thing can have two completely different emotions related to it. Yes, love that. Mm-hmm. Ah, love that. Okay, <laughs> where are we? Number nine, three things you would take to a desert island things I oh definitely my water bottle my emotional support water bottle I <laughs> carry it around everywhere I'm a huge huge water drinker um so I wouldn't I wouldn't even leave the house without a water bottle um so I would take that I would probably take I don't want to say a boring answer like my phone but I think that I would need my phone and probably a journal what about a pen Oh, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's true. I can only have three things. Okay, then I guess a journal and a pen. Because <laughs> then, yeah. that, that because otherwise your phone battery is going to run out eventually anyway. That's very true. Yeah, that's very journal, true. And water bottle. Yeah, there you go. You can write your book until you get rescued. <laughs> can I ask what your three items are? You can, but I have like thought a lot about this when I got asked this. So I would take, and this generally came from me, this one, a book titled How to Survive on a Desert Island. <laughs> so smart. Like no <laughs> shit. I would, they must be one. They must be. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I would take like a big sheet, like a tarpaulin sheet so I can use it to collect water and to shelter myself. Mm-hmm. And number three, a knife so I can like get coconuts and whatever I need a knife for. Not to kill See- animal, hopefully not. Now I'm thinking that my pen and journal (laughs) answer is not the (laughs) thought out answer in the world. (laughs) Yeah, but that was like on the spot. So you did good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At least it wasn't phone, laptop and table light or something. That's true. That's true. (sighs) Okay. And number 10, bit of a strange question to ask at the beginning of the podcast, but I've already seen your answer to this. So I definitely would like to ask it now. What would you want people to take away from this podcast? I would want them to take away that no matter how broken they feel, how hopeless they are, that they'll ever get better or how much they feel like there's something wrong with them, um, that there is something better, that there is possibility for change, that there is no one who is unfixable. There's no one that is too far gone or too broken because I know that I felt that way. And I have worked with so many women who, when they reached out to me, they said, your program is the last thing I'm trying. And if if this doesn't work, then I'm basically giving up on myself. And so no matter how many times you've tried and and you feel like you're you're so stuck, sometimes it means doing something completely different, but there is always going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm, that is incredible and I'm so glad that you've shared that because so I thought the same too. Other people can heal, but I'm too fucked up. Mhm. 
And isn't it crazy how many women genuinely feel and think the same way? Yeah. And I think it's so tragic because this is something that most people don't talk about. It's something where we hold so much shame and guilt about that because of that, we end up actually making it heavier on ourselves. I know when I started talking about it, it actually helped me in my healing journey because it takes some of that like we make it feel very intense and very serious because we avoid it so much. And when we're able, same thing with like anxiety or any kind of very heavy issue, the more we try to avoid it and the more we internalize it and it becomes heavier and then it it becomes our entire life. So find someone who you trust, who you can be vulnerable with and allow themselves to allow you to share that part of yourself with someone because the more you talk about it the less heavy it's going to feel so true Mm -hmm. and Sabrina how did you get to where you are now so you're a food freedom coach Mm -hmm. what's your story how did you get from where you were to where you are now Okay, I'll try to give you the cliff notes version of it. Um, So my body image issues started when I was in my teenage years. I was a synchronized swimmer, which is a very body image focused sport. Um, And it's funny, I had a guest on my podcast yesterday who's a registered dietitian who focuses on athletes and, and sports nutrition. And we talked about how when it comes to sports and fitness goals and performance goals, disordered eating behaviors kind of become normalized and even just encouraged uh, because your body is meant to look a certain way. And so you kind of do whatever you can to look that way. And when I was in the sport, I, I honestly think that my eating was pretty regular because I was training 25 hours a week. I didn't have to care about my body that much until I retired from the sport. And then I was 16 years old. And I actually remember, I remember this scene so vividly. My sister had said the year before I quit, my sister had said, if you keep eating the way that you do, you're going to gain so much weight when you stop training. Mm -hmm. And I remember that comment sticking with me and thinking, oh my God, gaining weight is the worst thing in the world uh, because I had been conditioned to believe that my worth was in my body, especially because this is a sport where girls are walking around half naked in bathing suits and and you're being judged on how tall, how skinny, um, how long your legs are. And so I remember leading into my last year of the sport, I already started changing my eating habits. I started, instead of eating chips, I was eating veggie chips or like the the air crisp or whatever had lower calories. I started like, it started then and then it really exploded when I retired from the sport and I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to work out because I didn't know what I enjoyed. And so it it be, it spiraled into an obsession with not gaining weight. And so I did what most people do when they have anxiety around their bodies, which is go online and look at what should I be doing to lose weight? So you start cutting down on carbs, you start cutting down on calories overall, you start switching from regular pasta to zucchini, and you start I don't know if you did this, but I started switching from eating bread to eating sweet potatoes as my toast for my avocado uh, and egg toast. Yes, I I always make jokes about this. I literally, and I can't believe anyone didn't stop me and said, what the heck are you doing? But I would slice up thin slices of 
sweet potato and I would put it in the toaster. And I like I think at one point I broke my toaster because believe it or not, sweet potatoes are not supposed right. to go in the Isn't toaster. Isn't it still hard? I, yes, it was. It was hard. <laughs> It was hard. And I would put avocado and egg on top. Um, bell, bell pepper sandwiches were a big hype for me too. Um, so because of this, because I was so restrictive with my eating, um, the, all of these things that I was trying to do in order to gain quote unquote control of my eating just made me feel more out of control. Um, so I would eat very little or I would eat very, very quote unquote clean from Monday to Friday or from like the time I woke up until 8 p.m. And then 8 p.m. was like that switch would go off. People would go to bed and it was kind of like no rules, um, all, all bets are off and I would eat it one thing led to another led to another and and i'm sure that you can probably relate to this if let's say i had a craving for chocolate then i would think okay what is something healthy that is also sweet that might satisfy my craving so i would have like a few grapes and then that didn't do the trick so i would i would move to something a little less healthy but still healthy enough that i didn't feel guilt so it would be like cereal or fiber one brownies or this healthified dessert that i had made homemade which tasted like cardboard uh, <laughs> but it was sugar free so that's okay um and then and then that wouldn't satisfy my craving so it would just it would build and build and build until eventually i was like just have the thing that i've been craving from from the beginning but because i had eaten so much food at that point i was so stuffed and i felt uncomfortable and I'm sure that you know this, if I had just let myself eat the food I was craving at first, I, that wouldn't have happened. Um, so I struggled a lot with restricting and then binging. And then eventually when I got to university, um, it was like a really big life change for me that I wasn't expecting. I was moving away from my parents' house for the first time. I was living alone. I was taking care of myself. I was a new city. I had new friends. And so my life felt very out of control. And of course, this is all in retrospect. I didn't realize all of this going on when I was going through it. But I started using exercise and, and food as a means of feeling in control. And so that is when I... Sorry about that. <laughs> um, that is when I started obsessively counting. I got a Fitbit. So I started obsessively counting my calories and my steps and being hyper vigilant about my food and tracking everything into my fitness pal and making sure that I was only eating quote unquote clean. And I didn't know what this was at the time, but what I found out later was that I was struggling with orthorexia and I just had this unhealthy obsession with being healthy. Mm. That's so interesting. And then how did you get out of that to become a food freedom coach? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I know obviously you can't describe everything because we'll be here for weeks. Mm -hmm. What were the key points? Like what was the turning point for you to be like enough? Yes. So I definitely remember this distinctly is um, it was Christmas break and I was like deep, deep in my disordered eating. And I had always wanted to travel like in my life. I just had all of these goals and dreams about traveling. And there was this one trip I really wanted to take, which was to go to Italy for a couple of months. And that upcoming summer, I had no responsibilities that I necessarily had to stay in Canada for. And I was like, this would be the perfect opportunity to just go and you're young and enjoy and go 
but I couldn't get myself to do it because the fear of gaining weight and of not having control over my food was so strong, so strong that like it gave me anxiety to think. And especially when you think of um, Italy, when I told people that I was thinking of going to Italy, they knew the way that I ate. They knew I didn't eat carbs. And and they I was always like the quote unquote healthy friend who was always hyper focused on her body. And so a bunch of people said, you know, in Italy, you're going to have to eat you're going to have to eat pasta and bread. And a lot of people said, you're going to gain weight when you go there. And all of this, like diet culture, super, super loud everywhere. And these are people that I love, like my friends and my families. And they didn't realize that they were just making a joke. But for me, like I internalized that very, very strongly. Um, and so I was stopping myself from this dream, this amazing experience. And I was young and I knew if I'm feeling this now, if I'm having the the kind of mentality of, oh, well, when I lose enough weight, which is so funny because at the time I was the, at the smallest I've ever been. So I don't know what it would have taken for me to actually get to that point where I would go and enjoy myself. Um, and it, it was that realization of I'm holding myself back right now from living my life because of fear about food and about my weight like this is this is crazy this is not the kind of life that i want to live i'm so young i have so much ahead of me and i can't live the rest of my life like this i can't live the rest of my life counting calories and being afraid about how much oil someone is putting in my food so i was terrified and i decided because you feel so uncomfortable doing this is exactly why you need to do this. So in that moment, I made the decision, I booked my flight, I did it. And I'm not gonna say like leading up to it, I was terrified. Um, when I first got to Italy, I was living in an Italian family's house. And the first thing the Nana said to me was, oh my God, you're so skinny. We need to get you some more food. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, this was a terrible idea. Like I, my anxiety was so high. And little by little, of course, I started seeing a different way of life. I started seeing a culture that is not wrapped up in counting calories or cutting out carbs. If anything, it's a culture that embraces food, values food, enjoys food, uses it as connection and slows down and is present. And that's when I realized food doesn't have to be the enemy and i can eat i was eating probably twice as much as i did when i was living in canada and i felt the best that i ever have weirdly enough when i started eating carbs and eating enough like i started having more energy and my mood was better and my hair was no longer falling out and i think the biggest thing that i got away from that trip was realizing that you don't have to be perfect to be healthy you don't have to be miserable to be healthy. And I didn't, I, I honestly, I don't think I would have been able to get to that point if I hadn't seen a different and experienced a different way of life. So that, that whole trip was, was really life-changing. And I'm not going to say that like I came back and I was healed um, because it, it happens over time, but it was kind of like seeing a crack, seeing a crack of my way of thinking and, and having just the possibility 
that something else was possible, which made me get really interested in it. And then I started doing some research and I started doing things that made me uncomfortable. Like when I came back to Canada, I started buying pasta for myself, which was like huge for me. I started being able to keep snacks in the house, which was huge for me. And the more that I did that, the better I felt. And and of course, this was a lifelong journey because I did this by myself. So I was reading books. I was always like kind of grasping a little bit here and there. And then when I finally started working with clients, it all just crystallized. And now it's just like a way, a way of life that I could not imagine ever going back to where I was. Wow. What a beautiful experience. And I I see that the biggest catalyst of your healing journey was that Italian family. So your environment and then people modeling the behavior that is different to what you've been used to, like you say, in the in terms of like a crack, it opened up almost like another world for you. Yeah. And and there's this there's studies that have shown that like the the populations in the world with are which are the most health conscious, which are the most worried about nutrition and food, which is North Americans who are constantly dieting, are some of the least healthy populations in the world. And then you look at populations like the French, which I've also lived in France a couple, I mean, at this point, it was three years ago before the pandemic. And again, that's when I got to see again, this culture that it's, they just, they listen to their bodies and they eat everything. And, and they're known to be one of the healthiest populations in the world. And they're the least health conscious, which seems so counterintuitive, but it's really just seeing seeing something that maybe logically doesn't make sense and seeing it in action that was a game changer for me yeah and that's the beauty of connecting to your body and your intuition right like i i mean i'm a qualified nutritionist and i went into nutrition thinking it would fix me and i would have a perfect relationship with food if i know what's good for me what's bad for me and interestingly enough so many other people that start their journey into like being qualified in nutrition have disordered eating because they they're looking for something all the time and the best nutritionist you will ever have is your own body yeah and it's so funny that you say that because i used to so my degree is in financial math and economics that's what i went to university for before i moved into health coaching and for a year i worked at statistics canada and i was looking up articles about nutrition and calories and exercise all the time and i could write my own book on nutrition like i knew so much about it but what i didn't realize i thought i was doing it because i was just health conscious and and i was interested and i was passionate but really what i didn't realize was that i was just that was fueling my disordered eating the more that i learned about nutrition the more that i tried to seek it out the more i got obsessed with it and afraid of it and the more out of control i felt Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's not lack of knowledge most of the time with the ladies I work with anyway. It's too much knowledge in a way. Too much knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I would love to talk about orthorexia because that's the only, well, I'm not saying only because there's many different types of like eating disorders out there. I personally haven't experienced orthorexia myself. Mm -hmm. And so what are the symptoms or the signs of that? And how can someone start to like heal that? 
Yeah. So orthorexia is not um, officially recognized in the DSM as being um, one of the classic eating disorders like binge eating disorder or anorexia. I think mostly because it is more recent. Um, it's been recently being developed because of the new focus on clean and organic and healthy. And so because of that, people are, are are experiencing it more and more, which is basically this unhealthy obsession with being healthy, with being pure, with being clean. And um, one of the symptoms is that it might not necessarily be related to wanting to make your body smaller. You might really, it might be related to just wanting to make yourself as healthy as possible but it turns into an unhealthy obsession. And so if you're someone who feels like if you eat something that's not organic or you don't know the ingredients in it or um, you start looking into like toxins around food and you're going to find out that every food has toxins. Um, And so I remember I actually made myself believe and, and I think I really triggered it in myself that I was gluten intolerant because I I was looking into like paleo and I was looking into different um, different diets that told you that like gluten is going to kill you and dairy is going to kill you. And so I honestly think I like manifested gut issues because of it. And, and mm-hmm. I remember telling my family like, okay, I think I'm going to try to go a, a month gluten free. And they just thought, where's this coming from? Like you've never, you've never had issues with bread. Um, and so I did it. I started eating like almond flour and coconut flour because I really just wanted, I wanted like what was the best quality of everything. I wanted to like biohack myself Mm -hmm. and, um, it, it got to a point again, it becomes, there's nothing wrong with being health conscious, but as someone who myself is a perfectionist, I know this, um, I'm very type A, I like I like to try to overachieve. I took it to a, another level where it was, it was robbing me from, from my health and from my quality of life because everything revolves around food and you start becoming afraid of going to the restaurant because you don't know how much oil, how much salt, what they put in your food. It becomes very debilitating and it becomes hard to have like solid relationships and and a positive body image and and solid relationship with yourself because you're so hard on yourself if you're not perfect. How, when did you notice and be honest with yourself that okay, wait a minute, this has gone from wanting to choose more healthier or more nutritious options when it makes sense Mm -hmm. to that obsessive, like this is actually not giving me the quality of life I desire. Did it take long for you to notice that for yourself? Yes, it absolutely did. And again, I don't think that I was aware of it. I used to be, I used to live life on autopilot. I used to not really be aware of what my patterns were. I I didn't recognize my patterns. I didn't recognize my thought processes. And I think that it's really only when I started my business and I got very interested in the psychology of our behaviors and, and meditating and journaling and doing that reflection that then I was able to kind of look back and see how that progressively um, transformed. Because I don't think there was ever a day where I was like, hmm, like this is, this is 
becoming unhealthy. Like I always realized that I don't love the way that this feels. I don't love that I have to eat something different from the rest of my family. Like I wish, this is what I always repeated to myself. I wish that I could just eat normally like the people around me. I wish that I could have that pe- like bowl of pasta and not feel worried and anxious and not think about it for the next 24 hours. Um, but again, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning was just, I thought that was just, that's just always going to be me. I'm always going to, that's just who I am. Like maybe those people are born differently. Um, and I'm just someone because I'm so health conscious, that's always, it's always going to be on my mind. There's no, there's really no other version of me. Um, so I, I don't think that there was ever that, that point where I was like, this is unhealthy. It was more like cracks in, in my behaviors where I started pushing myself to do uncomfortable things like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to have pasta tonight. I'm going to have the same meal as everyone else. Um, and, and, and just starting to do that more and more until it was, I think I had to like confirm with myself, you can eat these foods and your world is not going to fall apart. Like Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not going to gain 50 pounds overnight. You're not going to become super unhealthy. Like I almost had to test myself the way that I'm sure that you do this with your clients of like having them eat their fear foods and having them um, confirm that like, okay, you can actually, if you pay attention and you do this mindfully, you can eat these foods and, and you can eat them in a way that feels enjoyable and good for your body and you're not going to fall apart. And I think that's what I needed to do with myself too, which was like this progressive process of feeling uncomfortable, reflecting on it afterwards. That part is so important. And then doing something that scares me a little bit more and a little bit more. Like I started drinking my calories. We were talking about that before our interview. Like I started drinking chocolate milk, which was um, something I never had done. And the more and more that I did that, the more I just realized, oh, this is what it takes. This is what it takes to be healthy. It's allowing yourself to mm-hmm. have these foods and, and, and having joy in your life. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna become the super unhealthy girl if you're not eating organic and pure all the time. Yes, and trusting your body to know that your body knows what to do with food. I mean, yes. yes, in a perfect world, we would only eat from a land and we would only eat like homegrown, all of that. Well, here's the thing. We don't live in a perfect world. We do live in the 21st century where there's like an abundance of like delicious processed foods. So mm-hmm. I would much rather enjoy my life, eat whatever I want when I want, which interestingly enough, my body guides me to a balanced, nutritious diet anyway, because exactly. I allow, the more I try to like restrict sugar, the more sugar I ate, so I'd binge on it. Mm-hmm. And so like, yes, the toxins, like they're everywhere. Like we, me and my fiance have this conversation quite often. If you were so worried about toxins, you wouldn't breathe the air. You literally wouldn't breathe. You yeah. wouldn't go outside. You'd have like all these air purifiers everywhere. You wouldn't drink water. You wouldn't eat anything. You wouldn't yeah. buy shampoo. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's the thing is I didn't know how to listen to my body back then. I didn't trust my body. And I remember when I started doing one of my diets, it said that you couldn't, um, you couldn't eat oats, you couldn't eat beans. Um, and I remember just thinking, this doesn't make sense to me. Like intuitively, 
it doesn't make sense. I like eating these things. It makes me feel good. But because like I was following these functional doctors and I'm not going to say any names, but there was one in particular that makes you think that all food, like literally you, you can only eat like five foods and that's all that's safe. Um, I remember just thinking this doesn't make sense to me. And, and I was doing these things that my body, like my body felt great. I, I eat oats in my breakfast every single morning now. And so I think it's so important that you be critical of the food rules that you're imposing on yourself. If something doesn't make sense to you, if you're, for example, let's use the example of Octavia, which is, are you, do you guys have Octavia in the UK? I, I, for some reason, my mind went to an oaty milk drink. Is that right? No, it's basically this, it's basically this, um, lifestyle change big quotes here that um sends you packaged foods so i think you get one meal a day and then four tiny snacks yeah yeah and they like to really focus on it's all about healthy habits um however what happens when you stop buying buying their food what happens when Uh, i'm like hey sabrina do you want to go out for lunch and have pizza and you're like nope i've got my little bar yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that also that lifestyle change um, as you're on your weight loss journey does not allow for exercise. Wow. Does not allow for exercise. Yeah, that I mean, it's just another diet wrapped up in lifestyle words, isn't it? Yes. And another thing about that diet is I'm pretty sure that they don't allow fruits as well. And so I would have clients who had I have a lot of ex Octavia clients who would come to me and talk to me about their past experiences. And they were like, it just I wasn't allowed to exercise and I wasn't allowed to make like to eat fruit. And that intuitively didn't make sense to me. Like those are healthy things for you. And that's the thing is people stop trusting their intuition yeah. and they start trusting other people so much more. And we would never do that with other bodily functions. We would never do that. Trusting someone else to tell you when to pee or when to sleep. It, it just, it seems silly, but we do that when it comes to food and exercise. Yeah, because the whole society shame us if we do something that's against the ideal, right? And you just need more mm-hmm. willpower, in quotes, if mm-hmm. you can't stick to a diet. It's so interesting. I want to circle back to something you said, and I think it's really important before we go and talk about body dysmorphia. And you were talking about yourself as the healthy friend. This is just what I always do. So at an identity level, you created an identity for yourself as the the healthy one, whatever that means. Can you talk about how you can let go of that identity and then step into a new one that you're creating for yourself and how scary that also is at the same time? A hundred percent. It was, it was such an identity crisis. That's the best way to put it because I was the healthy friend, especially when it got to the worst part of my um, eating disorder. I was going to the gym every single morning at 6 a.m. Everyone would look at me and just, you have so much willpower, you have so much discipline. And the thing about identities is that they don't necessarily need to make sense. And so I had created, I had this belief that people loved me because I was the healthy friend, that people like enjoyed being around me and I had value because I was so passionate about nutrition and exercise. And that was like, that was what I brought to the world. And ironically enough, 
the more that I got obsessed with this, the more that I started losing friends because I was not going out to restaurants anymore. And I wasn't going out at night because A, I was so tired because I wasn't eating enough. B, I was scared to leave the house after eight because I was scared to be tempted by food. And then eating after eight was like a rule that I was, you know, off the table. And then I had to be at the gym at 6am. And so of course, my social life suffered. And so this belief that I thought that, okay, well, my obsession with being healthy is what makes people love me was actually going completely in the opposite direction. And so it was super scary for me to even have the the thought of eating pizza in front of someone else or eating something that quote unquote was unhealthy and have someone say something like, whoa, you're eating that? Like that, that, if I had a comment like that, what I internalize that as is you're the healthy friend, you're not allowed to eat that. Um, I remember and my family, God bless them, they didn't know at the time, but like there was all of these comments about the way that I ate and, and they were saying it innocently. But when you're when you're so fragile and, and and all you think about is food and your body, one small comment, it can trigger you. And so I remember this so distinctly. I was putting food on my plate um, at a family dinner and I had put one potato one potato on my plate um and i was like that's all you get you because i really wanted the potatoes but i wasn't eating carbs at the time so i said just have you're allowed to have one and i remember my brother looking at my plate and saying whoa 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 better be careful with that one potato but he was saying it as a joke because he had like you know 20 potatoes on his plate and i remember thinking i probably shouldn't have it i'm the healthy girl i shouldn't have a potato um, and so not only was like that sense of control really hard to break, but it was also that sense of breaking that identity that I had created for myself. And th it, this comes back to what I was saying before. It was that progressive um, progressive change in, okay, I'm going to start having this. And people might say comments and I'm going to have to like work through internally what that means to me and what I'm making it mean. And, and what I, when I tell my clients is as you're going on a food freedom journey and you're starting to embrace the idea of intuitive eating, the people around you are probably not used to what you're about to do because you've been dieting your entire life. Um, so they're used to you eating a separate meal from the rest of the family. They're used to you constantly restricting different foods. And so you're gonna need to sit down with them and have a conversation that lets them know that any food comments, whether they're positive or negative, any comments about body image, can be extremely triggering. And so having, I had to have that conversation with my family where I sat down and I said, any comments, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start eating differently. I'm gonna start eating like you guys. I'm gonna start um, eating normally and it's gonna be really hard for me. Um, and I'm gonna need any comments about anything that I eat to just not. Because for me, if someone said something like, oh, you're going for a second plate, in my head, it meant I shouldn't be going for a second plate. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm still hungry, I'm not going to listen to my body and I'm, I'm just going to stop now. And then I would end up be binging once everyone had gone to bed. And so it was having those kind of conversations, which can feel very uncomfortable, but they're so 
necessary because you need to rebuild that trust with yourself and your own ability to eat in a way that listens to your body and does what feels good. And it's so like, it's so, so important to not go through this on your own, to get other people involved, because these are people who are used to being around you all the time. They know that the way you eat is a certain way. And diet culture is so loud that what you'll notice is that all conversations revolve around food and your weight. And so when you're working on healing your relationship with that, um, you need to be able to do it in a safe and comfortable environment. Yeah, it's almost like we train, well, we do, we train people around us in terms of this is who I identify as. So we train them without knowing what to expect from us. And so when that, like you said, like when you had that potato, the expectation from others, like, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with Sabrina's like no carb thing. Therefore I'm gonna like helpfully just make a joke or whatever because it's not who she is. So I think when you decide for yourself, this is what I want, I want to do this differently. Having the conversation to get support, you then Mm -hmm. train them that you're just a normal eater. So it is difficult, but we decide how other people treat us, right? Yeah. Taking ourselves where we want to be and then setting boundaries and, and all of that. So I would love to just for the last 10 minutes, go dive into body dysmorphia. So what is body dysmorphia? And do you believe that someone who has body dysmorphia can fully be healed from that? Yeah. Absolutely. So like I was saying before, when I was deep in my disordered eating, I was at the smallest I've ever been. Um, and and I'm sure that you're familiar and you, you've talked about on your podcast set point weight theory. Um, I was well below my set point weight. Um, I am naturally like a more muscular girl. I come from a family of just like bigger boned. Um, I'm never going to be, stin- you know, thick, um, why can't I talk? Yes. And and, um, I have, I just have naturally bigger thighs. And I remember I got obsessed with having a thigh gap and I managed to, to create a thigh gap in a body that should not have a thigh gap. And no matter how small I made myself, I looked in the mirror and it was not small enough. I looked in the mirror and I hated what I saw. And it's because all of these, it all comes down to the intention behind what you're doing. And I was basically hating myself thin. And so when you're hating yourself thin, which is what most people do when they go on a diet, it's not coming from a place of self-love and compassion. It's coming from a place of maybe when I hit a certain weight, then I'm going to love myself again. And when you're doing that, there's never going to be a point where you're hating yourself, hating yourself, hating yourself. And then one day you wake up and there's a number on the scale that you wanted to see. And then there's a switch that goes off and, and you love yourself now. It never happens. And so I was looking in the mirror and I was, no matter how thin I could get, I hated the way that my body looked. I body checked and and now I'm at a healthy weight and my body looks completely different from back then. And I managed to love it so much more than I did when I was in a thinner body. And so I think it's so important for anyone who might feel that way. Um, and it doesn't necessarily be that you you are in a thin body and you think you're fat. It might just be that you think that no matter what body you're in, 
it's it's not going to be enough you need to work on the internal part of it mm. because it doesn't matter what you change externally it doesn't matter what gene size you hit um it doesn't matter how much you exercise or any of that if you don't do the work to embrace and accept and respect the body that you're in right now then it doesn't matter what the external says you're always going to feel like you're not enough yes I love that you've explained it that way because it was only a couple of months ago that my best friend said to me, we was looking, I was showing her someone on Instagram, someone who was really body positive, someone that I really love to follow. I think her Instagram is Y and then underscore Kate, K-A-I-T, such an incredible account to follow. And I showed her to my friend and I was like describing like how me and her have got similar body types. And then my friend said to me, do you still think you have body dysmorphia? And I said, well, I've not really thought about it. What made you ask that? And she said, from a place of love, you and this person do not have the same body type. And I was like, that is so interesting. And I reflected on that. And I and my answer to her was, I don't know if I still have body dysmorphia, but what I do know is I have made peace with the reflection in the mirror. So regardless of whether I think physically I'm bigger than I am, it doesn't matter anymore because I've made peace and love who I am anyway. So it's difficult, isn't it? Because body dysmorphia, I'm assuming the term is seeing something different to what other people see. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that doesn't matter if you don't like yourself anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I have really embraced the fact that based on the day, based on the angle, based on the picture, my body can look completely different and there's going to be a day where and based on the mirror based on what you're looking into like you're gonna there you're gonna have good body image days and you're gonna have bad body image days no matter what your body looks like and i've definitely had and i know that you kind of wanted to touch on like what to do on bad body image days because we all have them and i always and it 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 might be hard for someone in a bigger body to really comprehend because they think like, well, if I was in your body, I would never hate my body. But again, it's not about the external. It's about the internal. And so there's going to be days where I look in the mirror and, and I don't necessarily love what I see, but what's different from now as to post to back then is that it doesn't ruin my day. Mm-hmm. the same way that and I always use this analogy with my clients on a day where your hair doesn't look good right on a day where maybe it's not falling into place or you haven't showered or whatever it is do you think about it all day long do you let it ruin your day do you let it ruin your mood do you let it affect the way that you eat or the way you interact with people no right because we don't associate that as much meaning to a bad hair day as we do to a bad body image day and so on the days where i look in the mirror and i'm like i don't love what i see i call it out for what it is today's a bad body image day and that's okay Mm -hmm. so what do i do on bad body image days i don't really i try not to look in the mirror that much right because why would i want to stand in a mirror and grab the parts of my body that i'm not loving that day and and tell and feel negative emotions about myself when I could just decide, you know what, today's just, I'm not really going to look in a mirror. I'm going to wear clothes that I know are comfortable 
mm-hmm. and that I feel good in. I'm not going to try to go and, and have a crazy outfit, which I don't normally do, or wear clothes that, you know how sometimes like you have these outfits that you love, but you know they're not the most comfortable. Yeah. You have to be like in the, in the mood to wear it. Um, that's not the days to do that. You want to, you, if all you want to do is wear leggings and a sweater, things that make you feel comfortable. I know that I have a certain, like certain pairs of leggings, which just, they fit right. And those are the, the ones that make me feel good about myself. And so doing those things that show compassion towards yourself and knowing that this might be one day, it might be a week where you're on your period and you're a bit bloated. And also remembering that your body is going to fluctuate. You might wake up and feel really great and you just haven't eaten for 12 hours and you've been hydrated or whatever it is. And of course, you haven't put any food into your body. By the end of the day, if your stomach is extended and, and you're bloated, your body, like when you have food on the plate, it takes up room on the plate. When you put food into your body, it's going to take up room in your stomach. And so it's normal for your stomach to bloat and to feel a little different. Just remembering that it is normal and there's nothing wrong with you and that you all you can do is show yourself compassion and do things that feel good. If going for a walk feels good, if drinking water feels good, doing things that feel good from a place of self-love, not punishing yourself for how you look. Yes. Amen to that. And also I think day to day, our body image can change so drastically. Whereas your body doesn't change that much day to day, but your life and your emotional state can. Mm -hmm. And our body is the best scapegoat that we use throughout life, like blame everything on our body. I'm stressed in my relationship. The sex life isn't great. Therefore it's my it's my body's fault. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too whatever. Mm-hmm. Someone at work like said I didn't do something right. It must be because I need to lose weight. We just always get like have our bodies escape go, and it's time we start to make make friends mm-hmm. with love and compassion. So, Sabrina, where can people find you, and how do you work with clients typically? Yeah, so I have a group coaching program called Food Freedom Academy. So this is really for anyone who wants to who has a history of yo-yo dieting, disordered eating, restrictive eating, and they've gone to a point where they don't want to live the rest of their life obsessed with food and their body. And they want to get to that point where they can listen to their bodies and they can eat the foods that they love and they can realize that you can be healthy and eat um, the pasta and the cookies and there's it's not an all or nothing and so if they want to learn more they can go to my website which is sabrinamayant.com or they can find me on instagram and just send me a dm i love talking to my community on there and i will answer you personally so my instagram is sabrina.mania.health uh, I'll link everything below, Sabrina. Thank you. And and I am launching my own podcast, which you were a guest on called Live Unrestricted. So I don't know when this is going to air, but um, it's going to be airing at the end of 2022. So if they want to check me out on that, um, then it's going to be on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all that fun stuff. Amazing. This will air about the same time as your podcast comes out. So perfect. Yes. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners listeners with before we say goodbye? Um, I would say just there's no harm in being nice to yourself. 
mm-hmm. there's there's truly nothing good that comes out of being an asshole to yourself and you're only more likely to change in a positive direction if you start being your own cheerleader like i think that's the thing is people are afraid of what if i show myself too com- too much compassion and i'm too easy on myself that i'm going to let myself go and I always tell my clients like no lasting positive change comes from a place of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing bad that can come out of becoming your own best friend. Yes. And we will leave it there. Thank you so much, Sabrina. I'll link everything below. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. I hope this episode was everything you needed to hear today and more. If you love this podcast, then please screenshot this episode and share it to your Instagram or Facebook stories and tag me at Victoria Kleinsman so I can share you with my audience and we can get my podcast out to more women that need it. Also, I'd be super duper grateful if you could rate and review this podcast as it really does help others to find it. Thank you so, so much in advance and I'll see you on the next one.